I'm Yadira Galindo for N equals one, a podcast about science and discovery at UC San Diego. And I'm Heather Bushman. In each episode, we bring you the story of one project, one discovery, or one scientist. Today on N equals one, we're talking about climate change and COVID-19, arguably the two greatest crises of our time. Yet they may not be as unrelated as you may think. They have at least one common factor, the burden they cause is disproportionately shouldered by the same people, primarily underserved populations and communities of color. In this episode, we're going to hear from an associate professor at UC San Diego. He's in both the Scripps Institution of Oceanography and the Herbert Wertheim School of Public Health and Human Longevity Science. I'm Tarek Benvani. It's pretty unique, I think, to have appointments in both the School of Oceanography and Public Health. Ben Marnia is a climate change and global health expert and fairly new to San Diego. Yeah, I, I'm French and Moroccan. That's, I have this double background too. And uh, before to move to San Diego, I used to be in Montreal. Climate change and global health are both big topics, each a field of study on its own, really. But Ben Marnio's particular focus is on environmental justice and how it plays a role in the health of a community, whether that's due to an infectious disease, pollutants, heat waves, or wildfires. And what is environmental justice? Well, I think of it like this. So we hear the term social justice a lot lately, right? And um, that's about making sure everyone has equal access to things like high quality education, career opportunities, wealth, healthcare, et cetera. Similarly, environmental justice is about ensuring equity in the environment. In other words, everyone deserves healthy air, water, food, safe homes, free of lead paint and asbestos, things like that. Because as you might imagine, those things can really make or break your health. Dr. Ben Marnia puts it like this. Environmental justice is just about understanding like the mechanisms and also kind of research part of it about why do we have that? Why do we have first this kind of uh, disproportional exposure? Why some populations are systematically more exposed to industries, to traffic? Uh, it's not random. Uh, and then why do we systematically see more burden in terms of health or other e- issues such as economic burden, like <clears throat> job opportunities, etc., in some other communities? So that's what, most, what I mostly do. This reminds me of that expression that when it comes to health, your zip code is more important than your genetic code. Mm -hmm. In other words, where you live and whether or not you experience clean air and water, have easy access to green spaces and grocery stores, can have more of an influence on your health, whether or not you develop obesity, for example, than the genes you've inherited from your parents. Mm -hmm, Exactly. And I like how Ben Marnia says it's not random meaning it's not random that people of color tend to be the people experiencing environmental injustice, living near a freeway, for example. And so what he means is that centuries of systemic racism and everything from schools to policing to lending of money and the sale of homes has forced many Black, Latino, Indigenous, and other historically marginalized people into neighborhoods that just aren't invested in the unhealthy zip codes. So what's Dr. Bernmarnia's research about? He has a lot of different projects going on. It's fascinating, really. I don't know where he finds the time, even just to keep up on the latest in all these different fields. 
some of the examples I find most interesting are the local ones right here in San Diego and in California. In a study he published recently, his team looked at wildfire smoke, you know, something we end up breathing a lot of here in San Diego, but of course, some areas more than others. In particular, they look at tiny airborne particles found in that smoke, those with diameters less than 2.5 microns. That's about 1 20th that the size of a, a human hair. They're called PM 2.5. Here's what they found. We, we did, did a lot of work on wildfire and smoke in Southern California. And one of the studies we recently published uh, was <clears throat> showing how uh, PM 2.5 knows the fine particles uh, that are like um, in a smoke, uh, how these fine particles, when they're emitted from wildfire smoke, are way more toxic as compared to fine particles coming from other sources of emissions like traffic, agriculture, etc. And we found that uh, for the same dose, for the same concentration of PM2.5, when it's coming from wildfire smoke, the response, respiratory response, is kind of up to 10 times more exacerbated, basically, which is not good news because in California right now, especially as in California, most of the PM2.5 coming from wildfire and we are just projected to see that um, increasing in the next few decades. So if I've got this right, fine particles in wildfire smoke can be several times more harmful to human respiratory health than particulate matter from other sources such as car exhaust? Yep, and that's based on 14 years of hospital admission data, not just hypotheticals in a lab. So to put a number on it, a 10 microgram per cubic meter increase in that PM 2.5 attributed to sources other than wildfire smoke are estimated to increase respiratory hospital admissions by 1%. Okay, so breathing these bad small particles from other sources increases hospital admissions 1%. But the same type of particles when coming from wildfire smoke caused between a 1.3 and 10% increase in respiratory admissions. And unfortunately, as climate change worsens, we're expected to experience more and worse wildfires. Yep. And there's another example of Ben Marnia's work that has stuck with me since I first read about it in his 2019 paper. So in 2008, New York City lowered the temperature at which they triggered their heat emergency plan. So you know how when it gets to a certain temperature and it's really hot out, that triggers certain things like public service messaging, heightened surveillance for symptoms of heat-related illness, daily calls and visits to home care patients, and opening cooling centers like libraries. Okay, and so when New York City lowered the temperature at which they started doing those things, it allowed Ben Marnia and his team to take a look at what happened as a result. So it turns out that triggering those actions sooner before it got even hotter reduced the daily number of heat-related illnesses during hot days. And heat can be very dangerous to elderly people, people with certain underlying conditions, and many people don't have the means to easily escape it. And just by doing that, they just like saved, no, and they didn't change the actions. This is the most interesting part because they already had a lot of actions in place in terms of communication about what yeah, just communicating about the risk, communicating about what to do, um, <clears throat> reinforcing the healthcare <clears throat> preparedness for this specific type of symptoms and in some areas in which population may be susceptible, uh, opening cooling centers, etc. They didn't change that. It, they kept the same. They just reduced the threshold at which they kind of 
triggered and like activated these this actions and it contributes to reduce something like half of the hospital hospitalization directly attributable to extreme heat, which is huge in just with this kind of uh, change. So. Wow, it really does show that even small policy changes can have big effects, especially for people who need it most. I know, right? So also it's a good example of scientists and policymakers working together for the common good. Ben Marnie and his team often work with local community groups, elected officials, and other stakeholders. This is all very enlightening, but what does this have to do with COVID-19? <laughs> good question. So COVID, the pandemic caused by the virus SARS-CoV-2, is another crisis on top of existing environmental and social injustices and the climate crisis. And again... It's, it's not random that the same population are impacted. So Ben Marnia was curious about the link between air pollution and COVID-19, which is, of course, an infection that primarily affects the respiratory system. Here is one idea. One of the main hypotheses uh, that has been framed last year was that because air pollution, exposure to air pollution, background exposure to air pollution may exacerbate the symptoms associated with COVID-19. Yeah, so... Perhaps living in an area where you are exposed to a higher than average level of air pollutants could make it worse for you if you contract COVID-19, such as requiring hospitalization, time in intensive care, being put on a ventilator, or even increasing your risk of death from the disease. How can they tell that? It just so happens there were a number of wildfires in California last summer in August 2020 during the pandemic, particularly in the Bay Area. So what they did was look at COVID-19's effect in those areas, particularly impacted by those fires, versus other regions that did not experience fires. And we found actually that the few weeks following uh, these wildfire events in most counties in the Bay Area, we saw an increase in a proportion of people dying from COVID-19, like validating this kind of hypothesis that, uh, yeah, Air pollution, especially in the context of huge air pollution uh, events, like in the context of these last big wildfires, may exacerbate the severity and increase the proportion of people that will die from COVID as compared to a counterfactual situation in which without this fire, they would have survived. They will still have got, gotten COVID, but uh, their symptoms would not uh, go that far. And from what you said earlier, I'm going to assume that the air pollution due to wildfire smoke, which worsens COVID-19, doesn't affect all communities equally. Exactly. So some people have the privilege of living in areas not at high risk for wildfire, or if they do, they have the means to relocate elsewhere while air quality is bad or stay inside with an air purifier. While other people, often communities of color, again, due to hundreds of years of systemic racism that determines where they live, do not as frequently have that luxury. Here's another example that illustrates the same point. So the COVID-19 pandemic led to, in some places, such as California, stay-at-home orders. And when that happened, if you remember, a whole lot more people were staying home. And so traffic on our highways was reduced drastically. And it's kind of another natural experiment because there's no way researchers could have made that happen for the sake of a study. You know, in, in normal circumstances, they would have to stimulate what a world with drastically reduced traffic emissions would look like. And the, the good part is that because the highway 
uh, were less dense and like there were way less emissions from traffic, the communities that were like from <clears throat> um, like um, that were typically exposed to high level of traffic related air pollution were like enjoyed a huge reduction in air pollution during this terrible order just because they had a lot to benefit from from this reduction. But of course, I don't think all areas of California or even right here within San Diego saw the same reductions in traffic during the stay at home order, right? Right. So this again illustrates environmental justice or injustice. So people who live in wealthy areas of San Diego, such as La Jolla or Tamar, are probably more likely to be able to work from home or take time off from work when there's a stay at home order. In other less advantaged areas, traffic patterns changed a little during the stay-at-home orders because people still needed to drive to work as essential and frontline workers. So do some communities benefit more from the stay-at-home break in traffic-related air pollution than others? The study is ongoing, but it sure seems like it. Okay, so what can we learn from all of this? The main thing I took away from my talk with uh, Ben Marnia was this idea of building long-term resilience through environmental justice so that all communities have an equal chance of withstanding whatever new crisis comes along, so that no community shoulders a greater burden than another. So I think it's very important to understand that (laughs) we need to first work on the kind of structural, fundamental causes of these issues and these inequalities, just to do not be surprised each time there is like an extreme heat event, each time there is a pandemic, each time there is a dust storm, in, for example, in Africa, each time there is anything to be surprised that some communities will be systematically impacted. Same thing in Texas. We, yeah, it was not a surprise like what happened a few months ago. These issues are all so big, so complicated. I think for a lot of people, the first instinct is to just bury your head in the sand and hope for the best. Is Ben Marnia optimistic about the future? He is. Yeah, I, I, I'm optimistic. I think we can make a difference. I think, of course... Uh, it has to be realistic. It, it will be just whatever we'll, I will be able to contribute to will be better than nothing. But yeah, I think we can make a change. I think we can uh, try to find solutions to, to be more resilient towards extreme heat, towards uh, wildfire smoke. I think we can understand. I think we can, I, I've seen in the last 10 years, a lot of way more interest and efforts and funding and, interest about this kind of disproportional impacts and this environmental justice issue. So I think things are changing. And I think in a positive way overall, things are very slow, definitively, and it's always frustrating. But to to see the half full bottle, I think it's, uh, yeah, I'm optimistic and I think we can make a change. Perfect words to close on. That's it for this episode. Thanks for joining me. Thank you and see you soon. And thank you for joining us on N equals one. You can find more episodes at health.ucsd.edu slash podcasts on Apple podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.